Picking up in Genesis 42, if you remember last time we spoke, we were in Genesis 41 and we got a little bit into 42, but we were speaking about how in jo Joseph rises to power in the, 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 the country of Egypt and how the Pharaoh had a dream and of course Pharaoh dreams a dream and he only wants it to be interpreted and of course God worked it out through his providence that Joseph comes and stands before the most powerful man on the earth at that time. This man believing he was deity but he had questions within himself showing that he was not deity, that there's one higher than him. So Joseph, being an ambassador of God, stood before this man who thought he was deity. He interprets the man's dream, telling him there'll be seven years of famine. There'll be seven years of plenty in reverse order. And he will be the one that, who will need to put someone in place to, to be a manager, to prepare the nations of the world to get them through this famine. And of course, Pharaoh says, who can we find outside of this Joseph who will be called Zephan Panan, who is one who God reveals truth or secrets to. And Pharaoh changes the name of Joseph in verse 45 to Zanpan Panera. And he changes him to be the, the second, in second in command of all all of Egypt. And now seven years have took place of years of plenty as we begin in 42. Seven years of plenty have took place now and Joseph is now the second in command. He rides in Pharaoh's chariot and we used last time we spoke about this as Joseph being a, a foreshadowing of Christ as during the famine when people came to, to the Egyptian border and they came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh simply said, go to Joseph. If you are hungry and you're perishing and you need to flee to someone to find help, go to Joseph. And we learned last time about Hebrews chapter number 1 where God said, flee to Christ for those who are perishing, those who are famished in their soul, those who are thirsty, go to the water of life, go to the bread of life, go to the lover of your soul, flee to Christ. As we continue in our discourse tonight, we'll pick up in verse number 6. Now Joseph was governor of all over the land. He was the one who sold all of the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, we come from Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. We see here that Joseph knew who his brothers were when they came through the door. Earlier in chapter 42, Jacob says, what are you doing sitting here looking at each other? Go to Egypt. Run and flee to Egypt. As this was not just a local famine, it was something that was global. And it causes the providence of God. See, we must understand that everything happens for a reason. For every tear that drops from your eye, there's a reason for it. For everything that happens, there's no such thing as luck. Luck is a Greek god. His nickname is Loki. It means chance. We say good luck to people. It's habit. We do that because we were raised like that. We believe it's happenstance and chance. There is no such thing as chance. Even Proverbs tells us that the, the dice that falls from the table in Vegas, it doesn't say Vegas, but it says the dice that falls from the hand even comes from the Lord. That He knows what will roll in Vegas. 
That he knows what reeds will grow on the bank of each river. That he is God. That nothing happenstance. Nothing just randomly happens. Even bad things that we believe was a freak accident. God is still sovereign. God is not over here dealing with this and he just it slips through his fingers and he doesn't see what happens over here. It's not happenstance that Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. It's not happenstance that Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house and it just happens that he gets falsely accused, thrown into prison for about 10 years. It's not happenstance that he's pulled out of the prison and put in a position of power. And it's not happenstance that seven years later there's a famine and now he's in a position of power. It's not happenstance that his brothers show up on this day looking for food and he is in power and he recognizes his brothers. It's not happenstance. It's not happenstance that you went through what you went through. It's not happenstance. It's not a, ra a random act of violence. It's not a random act of anything. God has his hand on everything. God stands over all of creation. He looks over every atom, every proton, every neuron. He says, mine, mine, mine. He reigns. Amen. So that'll help you sleep a little better at night. To be honest with you. Oh, that feels that's so good to me. It causes my faith to swell, if I'll be honest with you. It causes me to tremble a little less, to be honest, when I think about the world. Yes, there's a lot of bad things that go down. You go, if God is in power, why does He let bad things happen? We well, should say, why does He allow anything good to happen, to be honest with you? Because He reigns. He'll use, he'll use a crooked stick to draw a straight line sometimes. What do you mean by that? He'll take something that's very bad to happen to you, and He'll use it for His glory and for your good. Notice it says it will be for His glory and our good. They go together. Did you know that? For His glory and our good. Amen. Somebody. Come on now. Now verse number 6, that He's the governor of all the land. He recognized His brothers. And in verse number 8, and Joseph recognized His brothers, but they didn't recognize Him. Well, why didn't they recognize Him? But for one, He was not a Hebrew. A Hebrew grew their beard out. They had extended hair on the side. Orthodox Jews today still do that. But in Egyptian, they cut all the hair off their body. He probably didn't have eyebrows, to be honest. He did not have any hair on his body. Wore deep makeup because this was the culture at the time. He was ornated. He was decorated as a second position within Egypt. He did not look like a Hebrew. He was probably deeply tanned. And at this point, they didn't recognize him, but Joseph recognized him. Now you might think, in chapter 42... Him being a chariot-wielding, second-in-command of all of Egypt. Why didn't he go home in those 77 years? The prosperity and the famine. Why didn't he just ride on around the Jacob and say, Hey, I'm alive. Why didn't I? I don't know why. Maybe it was God keeping him there. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say why he didn't go home. It only would have took about three days to ride a chariot full force to get to Canaan land. I'll be honest with you. I don't know why. But sometimes God will put you somewhere. And keep you there Amen. for his reasoning. An example would be, y'all know the story of Jesus when he went to ride the colt into Jerusalem. Y'all know that, right? He rode the, the little donkey. And I'm sure that donkey, he was tied to that tree. He's looking at the tree and he's got the bit in his mouth. He says, why am I here? All I can see is this tree. And that's all he knows. And I'm sure that donkey's thinking, why am I tied outside this tree? I'm here. Until those disciples came and got him. And took him to Jesus and he rode him into Jerusalem. 
You don't need to know why all the time. Man, why has everybody got to know why? Why? Why am I here? Why am I facing? Why don't my view ever change? Why is it always? Why am I right here? Why? Why is this? Why am I facing this? Just know who. <laughs> God orchestrated all this. Not only did He put Pharaoh where He is and Joseph where He is, He put you here in this church. He put you right down the road wherever you live. He put you here. He placed you here. He is God and He reigns. Amen. It's not happenstance. It's not by accident. It's not random. He put you in the pew beside that person tonight. He put the preacher up and He established me here. If He wants to move me, He will. He is God and He reigns. He put our deacons here. He put us in this denomination. He is God and He reigns. Amen. Oh man, it's so good to me. It's so, it's so soothing. Let's be honest, church. Ain't it soothing that you serve a God like that? He's not a little God in heaven who's wrestling angels and demons and they're on equal standing with Him and He's fighting to the tooth and nail. He's fighting over your soul. No, He has won your soul. He reigns. He is a conqueror. He is a warrior. He is our God in whom we serve. Many times we forget who He is. Let's be honest. I hope God works this out to my good. He said He did and He is. He is God and He reigns. Oh man, it's so good. If you got, a, if you got an infant in your house, you, if you walked into their nursery one night and that baby's sitting up worrying about the mortgage, What's grandma, papa, uncle, aunt, uncle, daddy, mama? What are they going to do about the mortgage? Are they going to pay the mortgage? That infant, that baby. Baby's not thinking about it. That's just thinking, where's my next bottle? That baby's got confidence. He's not even on that level. So what are you, Christian? What are you, saint? Why do you stay up at night wondering, is God able, able to handle your situations? If He can scoop the oceans and the palm of His hand in Isaiah chapter 40, <laughs> he can handle that light bill. Come on. He can handle that prodigal. If he establishes the pillars of the earth, the north, south, and east, and west, if he can gather the winds in the palm of his hands, he's able. He is able. Boy, this is good. I'm preaching better than y'all act. That's all right. It's, it's okay. It's okay. But here Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dream that he had of them. And he said to them, You are spies, and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. In verse number 9, that dream that Joseph had, remember they called him the dreamer. They laughed at him into scorn. They said, Oh, you, you foolish little dreamer. But God, he instituted, he showed Joseph where he was going to put him. He showed him all this, but he didn't show him the process. I can tell you, there's a picture of you too, saint of God. It's in Revelation. It says they were gathered around the throne room and they sang, Who is worthy like the Lamb? Who is like Him? That's a picture of you. He's already given it to you. He didn't have to put it in your mind at night when you go to sleep. He's already wrote it out for you. But He didn't tell you how He's going to get you there. He didn't tell you all the things and the heartaches you'll go through in this life. He didn't tell you the loved ones you'll put in the dust that he'll rise again. He didn't tell you all the loss. And he didn't tell you all the afflictions you'll go to. But that's all right. I don't need to know all that. I just need to know who. Amen. Oh, hey, that good bishop. Come on. That, that is good. Joseph's now standing there. He's remembering. I want you to remember that scripture in Revelation. Well, we're around the throne. Yeah, we're here right now, but they're, the, 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 the end game, when it's all done, said, finished, when all things are reconciled, we're there with them. 
That He has not forsaken us, by any means cast us out, or forgotten us. That's good to me. He's painted the picture. It is finished. Now we're in the process. We're in that thing where you call an an industrious faith. Where you have His promises in this hand and a not yet in this hand. You're there, but you're not. You understand what I'm saying? You're healed, but you're feeling the aching. You've got peace, and you're holding on to that faith, and you're believing Him for what you already got. Amen. Come on. I know that's a little deep, but we'll, we'll break it down sometime. He recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. He remembers the dream. You are spies. He speaks harshly now. And if Joseph is an analogy of Jesus, you've got to understand that sometimes Jesus spoke harshly. Jesus wanna he wanna hippie that smoked dope and walked around and loved everybody. Jesus wasn't like that. Sometimes Jesus spoke harshly because people's hearts needed to be snapped. They need to be broken. Sometimes Jesus needs to have hard words because our hard hearts need to be broken. Soft words make hard hearts, to be honest with you. Hard words make soft hearts. Here Joseph now starts to speak harshly to his brothers. He's not angry at them. He's already forgave them. Don't you think if he was angry, him being the second most powerful man on the planet would have sent a raiding team to Jacob's house, slaughtered everybody like they did at Shechem? Don't you think he would have killed all of them already? If he could have nuked them, he would have? No. He's already forgave them. But here he speaks harshly. There's a reason he speaks harshly to his brothers. We're going to see him right now. You are spies and you have come to see the nakedness of the land. In verse 10, they said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. In verse 11, they said semi the truth. They spoke some of the truth. Some that part where it says we are honest men. No, they're liars. There's a band of liars. In their own minds, they thought they were murderers because basically they have killed their brother. So, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you know they're lying? If their lips are moving, most of the time they're lying. You wouldn't believe if their tongue came notarized, to be honest with you. They're just lying. Usually, yeah, yeah, Joseph is doing that now. What's keeping Joseph from slaughtering these brothers right in front of him? What's stopping him? Forgiveness and grace. He's already forgave them. I don't know who you need to forgive tonight before you run into them, but go ahead and forgive them. I don't know who you need to show grace and mercy to before you see their face again. But there's no time like right now to go ahead and give it. He could have killed him at any moment, but he didn't. He forgave him. He probably forgave him before Potiphar's wife accused him. He probably did. He had a long time to sit in that prison cell to think about the goodness and the grace of God. Even though he might have rolled over and looked at that prison wall, scratching each day in those little lines, you see. He thought about how long he's been there. He probably about, thought about the steadfast love and long-suffering with God he's put up with Joseph. Whenever we really think about how gracious God is towards us, we're a lot more gracious to other people, to be honest with you. And at this point, you can see it's evident in Joseph that he has already forgave them. If this thing had to happen overnight, and he went straight to the throne... Right when they sold him into slavery, he would have probably killed him, to be honest with you. But God worked it out through those years. Yes, yes, we hear time heals all wounds, but that's not true. 
Jesus heals our wounds. Amen. Amen. Yeah, just, like, just because it's a long time don't mean the wound doesn't fester. Get infected and make you even madder. But God is the antidote. Christ is the one who heals. Christ is the one who helps you forgive. Christ is the one who deviates you grace and mercy to be able to forgive. There are people who are sitting here tonight. Somebody touched you wrong a long time ago. Somebody said something to you that you have not forgiven them of. Someone has done you wrong, backstabbed you, betrayed you, divorced you, betrayed you, left you out in the cold, and you have not forgiven them. You know how to lose a lot of weight this new coming year? Is to drop all your grudges tonight. Because they weigh a whole lot. You know what don't weigh a lot? His burden is easy. Oh man, His yoke is easy. Come on. Lay those burdens down and forgive, forgive, forgive. Oh, His grace is sufficient. You don't have it in you. I can't forgive them. Preacher, you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who's been more offended and more betrayed than Christ and yet He forgives. In fact, He forgives you. He's shown you grace. Only forgive them as much as God has forgiven you. And if you can't, that's alright. He supplies the can. He supplies the cross. He supplies the strength. He supplies the grace and He supplies the mercy. If you can leave tonight and forgive them, why won't you? Yeah, you'll wake up tomorrow you might be mad again, but you know what you do when you wake up tomorrow you're mad again? Forgive them again. Amen. And then Tuesday, well, I don't even know what day it is. What is this, Thursday? Or give them, yeah, well, give, them, give them grace Thursday. Give them grace Friday. Give them mercy. Forgive them. Forgive them. Joseph has done that. He's already forgave them. But here he's starting to speak harshly to them. And now they're saying, we're honest men. We have never been spies. In verse 12, he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We are your servants, twelve brothers and the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. And verse number 12, the reason probably Joseph is grilling them, accusing them of something, is to get more information. You've got to remember, it's been about 20 years since he's seen his brothers, let alone Benjamin. And he don't even know if he's alive anymore. As far as he knows, his brothers is off Benjamin too. So he accuses them. The first thing to get down to something, either when someone's accused, they get angry or they get defensive. And now they're defending themselves and they're giving more information to validate their story. They tell Joseph that there's a father, he's still alive in 20 years. and There's a little brother who's alive and he's finding out that they're considering him dead to the family who's now in their presence. Verse 14, But Joseph said to them, It is as I said, you are spies. By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. In verse 15, it was not uncommon for those in biblical times to swear by the the deity or a a, a king, to swear by the king, to say this thing is true. And here Pharaoh says, he swears by the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. This was the original plan. He was going to keep all the brothers and send one brother home. This was the original plan. In verse 16, send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely you are spies. 
He was swearing by the life of Pharaoh within the courts of Egypt. So the people, the military around Pharaoh, dude, he was deadly serious. You will not leave here until you bring the youngest brother to me. I will keep all of you and one will leave. In verse 17, and he put them all together in custody for three days. Now in verse 17, I don't know what the conversation was while they were in prison. I don't know what Levi and Simeon, Judah, and all of those were saying to each other. What did Reuben say at this point as they're in prison? They surely knew that this first in command under Pharaoh is deadly serious. So in verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you shall live, for I fear God. In the original Aramaic, For I fear God, he says, for I fear Yahweh. He's saying that I fear there's someone higher than me than this Pharaoh. There's someone who's seated on the throne as he's speaking to these Hebrew children. He's saying, I know your God and I fear Him. All through this conversation, this is the first time Yahweh, His name is brought up. We don't see anywhere in there where the brothers mention His name. But now their conscience is tore wide open. The brothers hear the name of God. Verse 19, if you're honest, men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody. And let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. It seems in verse 19 that Joseph is showing mercy to his family. The original plan was they're all going to stay, but now he's letting them all go except for one. He's allowing them to carry sustenance home because each brother had their own family. Within 20 years, I'm sure Reuben and Simeon and Judah had children, and maybe children's children at this point. In verse 20, And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty in concerning our brother. In that we saw his distress of his soul, and he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. I want you to understand in verse 21, Pharaoh, when he's speaking to these brothers, was talking to them in between an interpreter. For they didn't know it. They just thought he was an Egyptian. But they didn't know that Joseph could understand their vernacular. He didn't, they didn't realize that when he spoke in their native language, they thought he was Egyptian. They didn't know that he could understand what they're saying. And he heard them say these words. We're guilty concerning our brother. We deserve this, Reuben. Simeon, Levi, this is our fault. This is God. Because he just mentioned Yahweh. God truly has saw this and now He's getting revenge on us. We deserve this. And then Reuben in verse 22. Reuben answered and said to them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Just because it happened 20 years ago don't mean that many times consciences are quiet. God will use this dimension of His name to open that wound. You're carrying something tonight that you're unrepented of. And it could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness, hatefulness. It could be pride. 
But the very mention of God's name is a mercy and a grace towards you. Romans chapter 1, it says the kindness of God leads to repentance. The mention of Yahweh's name cuts to the wick of these Hebrew boys, well, who are men now. What they did in their sins 20 years ago has come to light. Maybe they didn't mention it day by day as they passed each other on the farm. Nobody spoke of it. But now, travesty has come upon them. They believe that God is now punishing them because they heard the name of God. Their conscience is not quiet anymore. It's not muffled. They're this close to repentance. In verse 23... They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Verse 24, Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned and spoke to them. I want you to look at 24. Joseph turned his face away and wept. I'm sure that the eyeliner and the makeup, the deep makeup that he wore around his eye, because uh, the Egyptians worshipped the rock God, the symbol was the eye. I'm sure it ran with the tears as he heard his brothers talking about God is punishing us for doing this to our brother. God is, God is calling in the debt in the bill. God is giving us our just desserts. And Reuben said, I told y'all y'all shouldn't have done this. Can you imagine? It wasn't a, a, a casual conversation in the court of Egypt's second highest in command. These brothers were fierce and feeling guilty. And here, the second most powerful man on the planet turns his head away and weeps. Why was he weeping? Maybe he was hearing their hearts being broken for their brother. Maybe their, maybe their conscience is cut to the core. We shouldn't have done that. Joseph weeps. That's how I know that the Bible is not written by just mere men. Because if, they, if you were to look at all the, the Qurans and the, 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 the Buddhist scrolls that are secretive, and you look at the LDS uh, Mormon book... They make superheroes out of their saints. They don't shed tears. They're not moved in the spirit. Their hearts are not broken. Here we see the humanity of Joseph. And a couple of hundred years from now, there'll be another one that weeps. Weeps just like Joseph over his brothers. In John chapter 11 verse 35, it's Jesus. He weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. He's broken because of the brokenness around him. Yes, Jesus is there to rescue today. Like Joseph will rescue his brothers, but he still weeps. Why did Jesus cry at the tomb of Joseph? Because he looks around and sees all the wreckage that sin has caused, and he weeps. Here's the imprint of the impossible, infinite, invisible God weeping. For God weeps. You don't understand why that is important. If you ever shed a tear over pain that has happened in your life over someone else, knowing it, it hurts God just as bad as it hurts you, if not more, because Jesus wept. Oh, that's good! Jesus wept! I need somebody who understands. Y'all don't get it. I need somebody who understands what it's like to lose or be broken. 
to understand me. I need somebody who has been hurt deeply to sympathize and empathize with me. I, I just I can't sit there across from someone who ain't never been through nothing. I, I don't waste my time. If you're a shiny Christian who's made of plastic and you're all shiny and brand new, brand new coat of paint on, ain't had no scars, I can't talk to you about nothing yet, but give it time. You'll go through some stuff. But for the saints who've been battered and scars and bruised who've gone up on the rough side of the mountain the reason it's rough because if it was smooth you'd slide down but those crevices and those scars and those craters that stick out and they cut our arms and scar our knees make us into the image of Christ because he was suffering a suffering savior one who can sympathize with you in the middle of the night when you're swimming in your bed in your tears he is a God who has wept so he understands Amen. he's not like Buddha Buddha can't shed a tear for you he's dead He's cremated. Seven places in Tibet his ashes are spread. The LDS founder, Joseph Smith, cannot weep for you or weep anymore or anything. He's dead. He's buried in the family cemetery. Charles Russell of the Watchtower, Jehovah's Witness, he can't weep for you. Jesus. Jesus wept. Isaiah 53, he's a man acquainted with sorrow. Acquainted with grief. He understands grief. He understands sorrow. Thank you for a Jesus like that. Amen. I don't want a Jesus that's okay with my sin. I want a Jesus that weeps over my sin. And that causes me to weep over my sin. Amen. I want a Jesus that has been broken over my sin. The reason he shed a tear is so I don't have to anymore. The reason he suffered is so I won't have to. The reason he sweat blood is so I won't have to. He took a death that he didn't earn and deserve so I can have grace and mercy that I could never earn or buy. Oh man, it's so good. This Joseph turns his head and weeps in the presence of his brothers, much like Jesus wept over Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, he looks out over Jerusalem, who will reject him in the next couple of days. And he weeps and says, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how many times I want to draw you near like a hen draws his chicks underneath. Oh Jerusalem, I send you the prophets and you stone them and cast them up. Oh Jerusalem. Christ weeps over the lost and He weeps over our failings. But He is triumphed today as that stone is rolled away and He stepped forth saying it is finished. He reigns forevermore, putting to death, death, hell in the grave, claiming victory and salvation, salvation, securing my salvation, the author and the finisher of my faith. <laughs> he wept then. And I may weep now. But it says in Revelation, Miss Connie, it says in Revelation, there'll come a day when he'll wipe every tear from every eye. There will be no more crying. If there has to be a tear, it'll be tears of joy, seeing loved ones and falling at the foot of Christ, wondering why you're even there when it's grace and mercy that has sustained you all through this life. A grace and mercy that will hold you in the next. Amen. Glory to his holy name. Christ wept. Joseph wept here in the presence of his brothers. Thank you for weeping, Jesus. Amen. For when I weep, I know he understands. 
When I'm broken, He has been broken. Preacher, you may not know what I'm going through. Deacons, you don't have a clue what I'm facing. I can't even begin to explain all that I'm going through to you, preacher. Nobody in this church gets me, understands my background, how I was raised, and what I think about. But Jesus does. Hebrews chapter number 1, He's preeminent. Preeminent means He's the most important. He is the centerpiece. He is the exclamation point of all of history. He is God. He is the only one who has been born to cut time into B.C. and A.D. He is God and He reigns forevermore. He is your God. He is your Savior. He is your great high priest. He is your advocate. He is the one who holds you, who keeps you for Himself, by Himself, to Himself. He is your God. He's the reason for the season. No. He's the reason for all the seasons. Amen. He is God. Amen. He reigns. Amen. He rules. Amen. He is God. There is not even a second close. There is not even one. Even in His shadow, He is God and there is no other. Amen. And if He is on your side, who cares what they say? Who cares what you lose? For He will not lose you. Oh, that's good to me. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, we see here where Joseph turns his head and weeps.